think about you got to get in if you want to get off. <laughs> All right, welcome to the money lap. This oh wait, I just totally screwed it up. <laughs> I was gonna say something wrong. I was reading something at the same time. All right, welcome to the Money Lap. I'm Parker Quigerman, joined by Landon Castle. As always, this is our podcast about all motorsports and all things motorsports. Landon, I before we go any further, I have to give you huge props for a level ten dedication to the podcast in terms of taking your not only your mic. I thought you were taking the mic. You took the mic and a massive boom thing with you to wherever you are in the country, Iowa, right now. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, I am at Castle Motors. In your friend in the car business. Your friend in the car business. So, <laughs> you need a vehicle? Go to CastleMotors.com. My family's business. Um, so we made it four episodes of the Money Lap before we had to postpone by a day and mm-hmm. scrambling to get our schedules aligned and, <laughs> and record a show. Yeah, but you did tweet that we're in the top one percent, which is awesome. Uh, That's right. We far. made it through. What, what did I? I saw a tweet that said that most podcasts fail after three episodes, and we made it to four. So, well, we're basically we're top one percent. We're the we're best. There. We're in the Cup Series of podcast. Uh, let's go in the PR lap because this is where we can talk all about ourselves and all the great things about our podcast, including reviews out there. We're just under sixty reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we're on our way to a hundred. Um, and one review out here, I'm not going to read the whole thing because this is essentially an essay that was written about our podcast by Rob Panic, uh, who basically, I'm just going to sum this up. I'm going to start with the beginning and we'll sum it up a little bit. He said, I recently stumbled upon the Money Lap podcast hosted by Park Kligerman and Landon Castle, and I must say it has become an absolute favorite of mine. This podcast strikes the perfect balance between race and excitement and invaluable financial insights. I don't know what he's been listening to. Here's why I believe it deserves a solid five-star rating. He then does many, many paragraphs. And in conclusion, the Money Lap podcast of Park Klingman and Landon Castle is a true gem. It combines the excitement of racing with valuable financial insights, creating a -a one-of-a-kind listening experience. Um, Thanks, Rob. That was really nice. Hey, I think, um, Parker, I'm going to add a new feature to to the um, PR lap here. I think we need to rate these reviews. I'm giving this review a uh, 4.9. Okay. So it's out of five. Um, it's a five-star review for us. Thank you. I'm giving yep. it 4.9. I'm giving, uh, I mean, it's really a five-star review. I, I, it's a it's a five-star of a five-star review. I'm giving it, you know, 4.9 to 5.0. I think the only thing that for me that determines between 4.9 and 5.0, the writing on it is so good. Um, I am... I am questioning, mm. you know, the actual authenticity, Rob. Um, this is a, you know, it, well, it, this is it, a controversy. It, honestly, it, it's there's so much to it. There's so much depth to this writing that that maybe this came from Rob's heart, and he just needed a um, a writing assistant, or <laughs> or a co-writer of some kind, or a ghostwriter. So, um, and that's okay too. I think it is meaningful. So I just talked myself into it. I'm upgrading it completely to a 5.0. <laughs> um, so I just gave I, it our first. First review of a review. This is this is a great addition to our podcast, and I just want to point out that you may be alluding to the fact that this could potentially have been Chat GPT writing this review. For it could have been artificially um, intelligence written. Yeah. 
Which, but uh, I mean, there's I a lot of unique. Uh, there's there's a lot of unique points. So Rob, thank you. Thanks for the review. Leave us leave us some more reviews, and we'll rate your reviews. Um, and I'm gonna rate them pretty honestly, even though you guys go through the effort, the time and effort to give us a review. Um, you know, we're still gonna be real with you here at the Money Lab. <laughs> we will. And guess what? It's working because last week was our biggest episode basically since the premiere episode, and I think it basically beat the premiere episode in every other. Every Pretty metric, awesome. uh, which is great. So we're gaining momentum. A lot of people out there listening, please leave us reviews if you want to be here on the PR lap, uh, just like Rob. And even if you have some AI assistance in doing so, we do yeah, like Bring reviews. your best AI review to us, please. <laughs> please. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Uh, we also talk about our own racing here, which I did this past, I would want to say weekend, but I basically raced this week. Because we didn't finish the Xfinity race till like 11.30 on Monday um, in Charlotte. Unfortunately for me, not well. I practiced and qualified on Friday, which didn't go great. We, uh, we were too low in the front end of our car. Uh, we fixed it, though. Patrick Donahue and Cody McKenzie got to work and put their brains together and figured it out. Um, and we started off the race and we're pretty fast, especially in the rain when we ran the first 45 laps of this race in pouring rain. Uh, which was wild, and I was running the wall and, and suddenly was going so fast. It was crazy. I wanted the race to go on. Then we took a little break. I went home, took a nap, uh, had lunch, <laughs> uh, watched the Coca-Cola 600, and then we continued our race into the nighttime, almost ending uh, later at night. We had a fuel uh, pickup that – or fuel pump, sorry, that broke that then snapped our fuel cable, um, which was unfortunate. We actually got it fixed and got back out there to run about the last 30 laps of the race forever and learn some things. But Landon, this does bring up a really big issue right now, mm-hmm. which is your season last year, you had a gearbox issue at Coda. Mm-hmm. I had a gearbox issue at Coda. You had a fuel cable fail at Charlotte. I've had a fuel cable fail at Charlotte. What else, Nostradamus, should I be ready for in my season here in 2023? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> we, we, you are uh, mimicking my season. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. There's there's going to be some good things that happen to you, uh, but there's the the pain and suffering is yet to come. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so wait, can I turn it around? Where can I? Where can we make better decisions? <laughs> Help. Oh man, I don't know if you can change fate. Uh, I don't know how that. <laughs> I don't know how that works. I want. Um, I need to, I need to with change it, man. It. We need it, to change. You know, so last week on, uh, I don't know if it was on our last week episode, but remember how we talked about how in May, um, Charlotte weekend is always like a signal of crew chief changes and personnel changes mm-hmm. and driver changes start to get either talked about or actually happen. Um, I always feel like. Also, this this beginning of the summer stretch, and then especially when you get into the mid the heat of the summer, is when you really get into the stress tests of these race cars, and you start to find out how well all these teams are taking inventory and management of their parts and pieces over time, and um, and you know with the things that properly get mileaged out and replaced before they break, and then some some teams just get behind on mileaging their parts and pieces out and they have you know recurring mechanical issues i mean i've i've dealt with that i I feel like this is a maybe a little bit out of um character for a team of your caliber but some of the smaller teams 
even in the Xfinity series, especially, you're going to start seeing more and more mechanical failures because it's like they started the season with the freshest stuff that they have, but they didn't keep it up like they need to, and they maybe <laughs> don't have the best processes in place to manage that stuff. And it's like you're going to go to the Poconos and the you know Michigan and this this stretch of races where um, it's it can be hard on drivetrain and electrical and all that stuff. It happens. So it definitely for the Definitely for the smaller teams, you know, you just start to see as you get in the summer months and those long stretches, it's, you know, it, it not only tasks your equipment, it tasks your people, it pushes everyone to the edge. It pushed a lot of the Xfinity teams to the edge this weekend with, you know, this race being postponed with Portland and Sonoma back to back now, you know, West Coast, the trucks have to leave on West Tuesday. Coast swing. Yeah, so it's, it's really pushed a lot of the teams. And so it's tough because you had teams that were having to work on, Sunday that we're working, you know, in between the 45 laps we ran in the morning on Monday and coming back later that night and, you know, getting things done. My team was actually really ahead, which was great, great planning. So everyone just had to come in early on Tuesday on very little sleep and just basically load everything in the hauler, uh, which was great. So, you know, it's, there's all different, but it, it pushes everyone so far uh, when you have these sort of delays like this, but let's not delay any further. I, well, it's, go ahead. it's that it's that time of season. I mean, it's you got to have the right stuff, and that's. I mean, it's gonna we're gonna uncover these teams that have the right stuff. The other day, I was um, I was out for a long run. The other day, speaking of right stuff, were you? So have have you ever had? Have you ever? Well, I knew you've been running a lot lately. Yes. I've been running a lot lately. I'm 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 at like thirty forty miles a week right now. And you ever had one of those days where you're out for a long run? It's really hot out. You're feeling really strong. Like nothing can stop you. Your legs are fresh. Well, mm-hmm. that was me. That was me the other day. I was feeling good. But then out of nowhere, and I want to say out of nowhere, it's like a slow, when this happens, it's like a slow burn. I start feeling this warming pain from my chest, right? Hmm. And, and then I start to notice it's like with every bounce of the earth, there's like sandpaper brushing against my you know, headlights. <laughs> I was, I was experiencing chafing in a very uncomfortable area. I don't want to get into the specifics, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. I've got this. So, I figured it out. You know, after that, I realized it was, it was hot. It was really hard to enjoy my hobby without the right gear. I, a, a bad shirt ruined my experience for this whole run. I mean, it, I was only halfway through the run when it started and, and ruined my experience for this whole run and, and the days following it. Uh, I knew, I knew after that I needed to invest in some softer shirts if I want to enjoy running. And I also realized, you know, having the right gear is important for any hobby. And that's where spoiler diecast comes in. Parker spoiler is one of the largest inventories of in stock products in the industry from NASCAR to dirt cars, sprint cars, IndyCar and F1, let's not forget about their pre-order system. We talked about that last week with $0 down option. Talk about flexibility, right? Plus, they have a promo code, MONEYLAP, for free shipping and 5% off on all orders. And if you're looking for some of my rare diecast, you can get my number 10 Voyager car from last year for 20% off right now. So whether you're out for a long run, Parker... Or you're looking to upgrade your diecast collection, spoilerdiecast.com has the gear you need to enjoy your hobbies to the fullest. Trust me, 
It's like a breath of fresh air on a hot day. So head on over to their website. Use the promo code MONEYLAP, that's M-O-N-E-Y-L-A-P, for free shipping and 5% off on all orders. You won't regret it. But I'm not sure that they sell soft t-shirts. So <laughs> you might have to get that from somewhere else. That was incredibly com, Parker. Thank you. SpoilerDieCast.com. Thank you for your support of Money Lap Podcast. Please go out, check them out for all your diecast needs. You did trick me into to, to another ad. Had no idea. Thank you once again. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know for the listeners out there if they feel tricked every time because it's just great and I love it. I love it. Uh, before we get off the PR lap, just real quick, I just want to give a shout out to all the people that sent us DMs when we moved the time of this podcast coming out from coming out Wednesday morning because of my lack of sleep and your travel issues. Uh, to this af- hopefully Wednesday evening, and we got numerous people DMing us that we asked for complaints, but instead they just gave us really nice, uh, encouraging words about doing the podcast and that they're all listening and they like it and they're enjoying it, and so we just want to say thanks. But you can send us mean DMs too. We don't mind. That's fun we're too. Also, we all see early, we're in the early adopter phase of this growth, yeah. so we mm-hmm. appreciate all of the support. Let's talk about all the motorsports from this past weekend, the biggest weekend in motorsports and a lot of things looking ahead. Remember, you can get all the motorsports news directly to your inbox with the Money Lap newsletter at themoneylap.com. And we start with endurance racing. Before we look back at everything this past weekend, we are one week away from the Le Mans 24-hour practice sessions. And one of the biggest news things to drop as of late, which will be an amazing race, by the way, because of these new cars, this hypercar era, this GTP era for IMSA, uh, a lot of manufacturers involved. It's very cool. GT racing has sort of become uh, across the board there's the all, same o- over the world. Yeah, there's a lot of interest in this. Um, Van Wall has replaced the 1997 Formula One world champion Jacques Villeneuve with IMSA Sports Car Championship race winner Tristan Vautier for their return to Le Mans 24 Hours. Uh, it seems like, unfortunately, for all the nostalgia of people out there, Villeneuve was just not fast enough. And I, I bring this up because I have seen that guy many years ago. That was a, dec- a decade ago. I watched him at Road America in an Xfinity car for one of the first times put on a show. And I just thought, this, what a le- like, this guy has driven so many different things. He's obviously fast. So it, it makes me a little sad to see someone uh, be replaced, in the, especially in sports cars, for, for not having the performance who I've seen be so awesome. There's a time, there's basically, you know, a ticking clock on us all, Landon. That's basically what I'm saying. I, I, um, I can't imagine a world where he's not fast enough and I'm not familiar enough with the sports car racing to really know who's challenging him for that role, but I can only imagine <laughs> being the one that <laughs> replaces Jacques Villeneuve. Um, yeah, I know Tristan Vautier very, very well for my IMSA time of uh, doing TV. Mm-hmm. He's a great dude. Um, and, you know, through the GTP, sort of wasn't in a great position ride-wise. So this is, I think, a good pickup for him. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting place to be because I'm sure Tristan was like, wait, I watched Jacques Villeneuve. <laughs> is, Jacques one, is Jacques one of the last of the – I mean, he's kind of a legendary 90s – early 2000, not even early 2000, I mean like 90s and early 2000 um, open wheel sports car drivers. Is he one of the last of the Mohegans there? Yeah, in a lot of ways. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of what Yarno Truly's up to or Fisichella, I think, is racing GT cars. You know, Jack, I mean, he was amazing in kart, then goes over to Formula One, was was really good. Had the dyed hair for a while, so 90s with the small sunglasses as a style. <laughs> you know, had like the blonde hair highlights. I thought it was pretty cool. Speaking of that, there is something I want to give a shout out to, and that is this, in, this series that has popped up on Instagram um, that has just overtaken my world and my nostalgia. And that is, it's called Endurance Legends. And they take all of the 90s through early 2000s prototypes and GT cars from sports car racing in Le Mans and put them in a series that now races, I guess. But you don't even need to watch the races. I don't even care how the races go. Just seeing all these cars makes me literally almost tear up every time I see it on Instagram. And I keep reposting these because it's just the most incredible mix of McLaren F1 GT cars, F40s. Uh, the 550 Marinello GT cars, the Astons that were amazing, Corvettes, all the random prototypes. I don't know if you remember this, but in the late 90s and early 2000s, there were so many weird prototype manufacturers and different combinations of prototypes, prototypes that had V8s, V12s, V10s, ones that had turbos and didn't. It was just such a wild time for sports car racing. And so anyway, it's really cool to see this. If you're on Instagram, well, I'm assuming you're on Instagram if you listen to this podcast, Go to Endurance Legends. I don't even know when they race, what it is, but as a follow, it's incredible. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now. It makes you realize how romantic sports car racing could be. It is. It is. It's like there's those cars. They're because they're the cars. I loved cars growing up as a kid. Like they're the cars that I fell in love with. That also raced. And then you know to see them out and about again and saline s7s are out there <laughs> like come oh on God. that was it's like so a dream cool. car when i was a kid i know it is such a weird car when you have, think about it now <laughs> like, have you been to the have you been to the goodwood festival speed i have not i've always wanted to yeah that's money lab have to might have to go to the goodwood next year we'll do a live show there you heard it here oh, now that'd be awesome the Goodwood Festival live show. We need them to uh, help us set it up, though. So we need to get really big. Tell all your friends about the Money Lap. Send it all your friends. <laughs> we need to get bigger to make it to the Goodwood Festival. Last thing on sports cars, uh, I did see this. Hertz currently sponsors a car, a, one of the Porsches in the FIA World Endurance Championship, and um, one of the prototypes. And the CEO hinted that the rental car company could soon sponsor other forms of racing. And that said, the future of Hertz in auto racing is a bright one and a big one. So look out for Hertz. What do you think that is? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I find this fascinating. I've always found rental car companies to be interesting in how they interact with motorsports. One, because obviously the, the industry runs on rental cars. We have to. That's the way the whole industry operates throughout the world. Mm-hmm. But rental car companies are sort of a – it's, you know, they try to sell the cars, but a lot of times to me, it's like it's a convenience factor. It's a price thing. So it's not really competing on brand in that sense. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I've never dealt with a rental car company and how they use motorsports. So you tell me. I don't know. Do I, I mean, so did, I don't know if you noticed, but, um, and this is on a different scale than Hertz um, sponsoring World Endurance Championship, but uh, I think Ryan Ellis's car this weekend in Charlotte was sponsored by a company called flex car, which oh, I noticed because I had rented a car with through flex car, uh, recently. And that's like a all in one app, really easy. They have like local pickup locations. Um, and it's good for like 
all durations of rentals. Um, not an ad for FlexCar, but you know, I had a good experience <laughs> with them. That, and that seemed kind of like, moder- like a modern disruptor for rental cars. It's not necessarily a rental car that's housed at an airport type deal. Um, so I don't, I was wondering, you know, when we're, when I'm looking at this tweet from Adam Stern reporting, um, uh, those quotes from the Hertz CEO, I'm wondering what their activation around that is and what their, um, you know, how they're trying to reach people. Um, and for him to say that they could sponsor other racing series beyond world endurance championship, is that continuing the same demographic going sports car racing or open wheel like IndyCar F1 or does that mean that Hertz is taking a look at NASCAR? I mean, they've been, they, I think they were most recently on uh, Penske maybe? Car. Or was it Pen- Yeah, it was Hendrick. You're right. Hendrick. Was I think it was on recent. William Byron's car yep. before they well went done. bankrupt. Yep. Yep. Well done. And if they do want to come back, I would just like to put it out there that I am present circle at Hertz. Uh, and I've probably rented about, I don't know, upwards of 30 cars a year <laughs> Hertz with guy. them. Yeah, I'm a Hertz guy. I was Avis, but then I switched to Hertz. Uh, through NBC, and now I'm religiously Hertz. And so much so that there's actually a wonderful lady at the Hertz Charlotte Airport check-in desk who became friends. I became friends with, and I've been able to get hats and gear from some of my rides because she would always make sure I had a car waiting and um, has always taken care of me for all the years I've had to rent Hertz cars here. So, um, so not to make this, this became a Hertz ad for Hertz, but I also I noticed something, <laughs> and Josh pointed out in the chat uh hertz does uh rentals with teslas and they had a whole fleet of teslas at the um airport this week because i actually rented a hertz car this week for a different story which we can or cannot (laughs) get into but reluctantly had to rent a car this week because i had flight issues and had to do some driving but yeah i noticed there was a bunch of teslas so i don't i disagree with you on the marketing point i think there is some kind of branding and attraction i mean i always liked renting avis cars because for whatever reason i thought avis had nicer cars yeah they always had leather and you know i i don't know i always thought they specked out their cars a little bit better with nicer options um i don't even know if that's true or not i just that's it was in my head that that was the case so i would always go towards avis um and i had an easier time using the avis app and stuff like that so um, I agree. You're right on that, and the app is a big thing for me, and Hertz became the better app, even though Avis was a better app before that. I I was uh, I have a wizard number of Avis as well, so I've rented a lot of cars. But they were my they were my go-to before Hertz. And this is really, we're going to put everyone to sleep. with our, if, if anyone out there would like to know more about our rental well, car guess, habits, well, the point please write to us. <laughs> the point of the conversation is, you know, we're, we're interested in, like, why is Hertz interested in motorsports? Like, not just World Endurance Championship, but for the CEO to make a comment that the future of Hertz and auto racing is a bright one and a big one um, and that they could sponsor other series. Why is that? No, it's actually a really good point. And I think whatever flex car is Turo, you know, the you you're right. Maybe at this point they win on brand, right? They win on brand affiliation and, uh, you know, being a maybe more premium brand by being associated with sports car racing of maybe formula one, IndyCar, like you mentioned, um, their app, you know, I think the app is a huge thing for companies like theirs where ease of use to the app and it working is incredibly important to your success or failure. Um, so, you know, they're up against what you mentioned, Flexcar, which is maybe an entirely digital native company that is going to be, you know, solely 
focused on that and have that great app. You didn't agree. Um, I don't. My my, <laughs> I'm like losing you. I don't know. I don't hear you. Oh. <laughs> but everything I, I said was say, great. I heard you say win on brand, and then and then um, the internet derped out here. So, but I think I'm back. <sighs> That's all right. All right. Well. The point of the story is it is interesting that Hertz says they want to be in racing more. Where they go will be interesting to see and how they use it and if other companies follow in that you know rental car arena, right? Um, and what kind of money are they going to spend on it? What's the budget? What are they going to dive into? That's yeah. the questions, you know. Let's, uh, let's move into Formula One. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. And I have something extra. I want to. I want to talk about this. Um, some of the underbody stuff, and and I had some right. thoughts too on simulator stuff that I've been seeing pop up on social media. So I want to. I want you to get into stick let stick with set, the show here and get into it, yeah. and we'll dive into the um, the conversation. Let me set the stage. You can take it anywhere you want. So Max Verstappen won the pole after a incredible drive in the last sector of qualifying three. Uh, where he was able to beat Fernando Alonso. There's been a, I know you have a lot of information on that, so that was interesting. Uh, in terms of the race, it was a, an interesting race in that you had a start that looked very much like Monaco. They got away. Uh, Fernando Alonso did not get a better start than Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen drove away. But then there was rain, and this created a moment in time where rain basically was starting to fall at one side of the racetrack. It wasn't on the front stretch. And teams were deciding, do they go to the intermediates? Is it the rain just going to flash sun, you know, almost a sun shower, then go away? And none of the leaders had pitted yet. Uh, and the pit is always the most important part of Monaco because it might be the only place an overtake happens. Well, Fernando gained a little bit of time on Max as the rain hit. Maybe just traffic as Max was trying to lap people and that sort of thing. It became a little bit chaotic with cars on six running into the wall almost and, and having to go tiptoe around in the wet parts. Aston Martin pits Fernando Alonso before Max Verstappen. So at this point, the ball is in their court. They've already put Lance Stroll on intermediate tires because they probably believe it's raining enough. But they don't put Fernando on intermediates. They put him on slicks. He then... It has to trundle around. It gives Red Bull a chance to react. They, you know, react accordingly. And Fernando gains no time whatsoever. And the whole time it was happening, I was yelling, put him on intermediates, put him on intermediates. And he doesn't. I could call that race from Charlotte. If they had, in my belief, I can't remember the exact second difference, they would have made it up. They would have overtaken Max and then just had to hold him off. Um, massive miss by Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso in what was, you know, a race that maybe was for the taking for them. So really, really disappointing. Um, but let's go back to qualifying because I know you want to jump into some of that stuff of Max Verstappen and how he won that pole. Um, yeah, that was – so I'm, I'm actually pulling up the data right now because I made this tweet thread about um, qualifying, and it was – who else? Who else qualified fast? Let's see. Let's look at Charles Leclerc. Did he? Was he fast? Um, you're testing my memory. <laughs> what's that? Is it you're testing, testing my memory. memory by asking? 
he was bad. Well, I, if you look at if you look at my Twitter thread, I made this point about how entry is everything, and I you know I truly believe, especially at these road courses, you 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 want to make straightaways long, and this there's this conventional knowledge of easy in, hard off, but there's so many scenarios where you can just make up so much time on entry, and there's little to no penalty on exit. And that's what Verstappen did on Alonso through turn 14, which is a swimming pool, and turn 16, which is what? That's the second to last corner. So Max was about two tenths down on Alonso going into the swimming pool. He gained all of those two tenths completely on entry and through his mid-corner speed. Just bombs it into the corner Pretty much, I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but you could say he threw away his exit. He bombs it into the corner, gains it two tenths, threw away about a half a tenth on exit, and then does it again into turn 16. Just bombs it in on entry. This time in turn 16, he gives away pretty much nothing on exit. Um, and just steals the pole right there in those two corners. I mean, the whole lap, he was, I'm looking at it now, I mean, tenth and a half almost two tenths off. Hmm. So then, I mean, you could ask like, well, did, did Alonzo just screw up 14 and 16? I mean, I'm looking at Leclerc's clack, uh, uh, Charles Leclerc's Leclerc, the Ferrari lap. <laughs> you had it. Charles Leclerc. Uh, I mean, same, same Delta to, uh, Verstappen and Alonzo. Like the same delta to Verstappen as Alonso. Maybe Clara was three hundredths, came out of turn fourteen, a tenth behind. Came out of turn sixteen, three tenths behind. I mean it was really fourteen and sixteen. Max just bombs it in on entry. So anyways, if you're a race car driver or if you're thinking about that kind of thing, um, and you hear easy in, hard off, you gotta think about <laughs> the, the flip side of that. Think about you gotta get in. If you want to get off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't I tell that whole story to be a punchline. I, was... I didn't think you were going to say it. <laughs> that's uh, so good. Oh, I, God. I think that's, that's one thing that those drivers do so well when they come to NASCAR. With, you know, sports car mm-hmm. right, drivers, and you look at, like, A.J. Allmendinger and um, – and I think one thing they do so well is maximize the braking. I think stock car drivers are typically what we're used to on oval tracks, even short track ovals, isn't always bombing it into corner. I think we're really good at floating the cars into the corner using 80% of the braking capacity, not 100% of the braking capacity, um, having a more um, not as steep of a decel of the car. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think... You know, drivers that race cars with high downforce, indie car drivers, open wheel, sports car drivers, they're just really good at getting all of the braking potential out of their cars. And, I mean, that was uh, what what we saw with Max at Monaco was a master class in it. Um, And that's certainly where they, you know, where they beat stock car drivers going into... um, You know, when they come over and they race stock cars, they do really well on entry. where Where that does... Um, tend to bite them is 
they burn the brakes up a lot in stock cars because they don't always know the limits yes. of the tire and the limits of the brakes in our cars. So you'll see a driver, you know, get in our cars and they're really, really fast or they can make a really fast lap and they're really good under braking, but they're essentially overusing the brakes. Uh, with our cars, it's really mm-hmm. easy to just, you know, you, there's only so much brake pedal you can use. You could push harder, but all you're going to do is generate more <laughs> heat. Um, and that's just hard on the tires and hard on the braking system. And that's the key because braking in a stock car is entirely different than a lot of other race cars because you get to a what you call quote unquote 100% braking potential and then you actually stay there for a long period of time in a long braking zone for a stock car. Say turn one at Indy, turn one at Portland, uh, that sort of thing. You, you, we call it tabletop. And if you can see the data, the, the, you know, the, um, trace spikes to basically 100% brake, and then it sits there for a moment, and then it starts to bleed off, whereas almost every other race car in the world is more like a mountain peak. You'll peak at the highest pressure possible, and then immediately start to decrease from there because you're using, utilizing the downforce at the moment of most braking potential is when it has the most downforce, which is when you're going the fastest, and then you have to release brake from that point onward to you know, be able to go, which you'll see in F1. Mm-hmm. F1, a brake trace is, is, a, is a mountain peak, consistently um, because they're just maximizing the braking under full downforce and then getting out of the brake as fast as they possibly can modulating it. So it's interesting. Um, um, and you're right, so, by the way, the entry stuff. So it always matters. The, thank you. Yes. And entry, entry is important. I, I'm going to keep watching that. We'll, we'll, that won't be the last that I talk about it. Cause I'm, I'm going to see that I, I particularly in F1 qualifying, um, I'll look at the data here as I remember it on a weekly basis and just see, you know, where, where the pole sitter is, is making up time and see if it trends that way where it's all often one on entry because Max definitely Monaco turn 14, turn 16. He won the pole by winning the race to the entry right there. Um, before we move on from F1, I wanted to bring up some of the photos and the news that's been reported on, uh, these cars getting towed off the track or lifted off the track and their underbodies getting photographed. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there was a Red Bull that was photographed, um, a Mercedes that was photographed. Yep. Ta- talk about that. And, and then I also want to turn that into some of the other reports that I've seen of um, a lot of F1, I don't know if it's social media reporting or you know what kind of reporting it is, but they're talking about, they're re- I see these reporting on like upgrades, like, oh, we found two tenths or three tenths of speed in the sim. Um, and people are getting quotes from team managers or whatever talking about the speed they find in the sim. I want to talk about that too. So first of all, what do you think about teams and, and photos being taken of underbodies? Like, let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about that. So this has been going on for a very long time, which is that, you know, you have these racetracks, especially Monaco for many years was one of the few that had this where you have a crane that picks the car up off the racetrack and removes it if it's been in an accident of some sort, right? One of the things you you get with that is you get to see underneath these cars, which you never get to see. You get to see the FIA legality plank and then sort of how they design the underneath of the race car, which creates a tremendous amount of downforce, especially in the modern day Formula One car, which is designed to create a lot of downforce underneath. So it's really exposing something none of the teams want you to see. And for years, it also exposed a couple of things, which was your weight distribution. So you'd see a Jaguar get brought up, right, into the air, and suddenly it had way different weight distribution potentially than 
say, a McLaren at the time and that sort of thing. So it would just be all these secrets released. And so this isn't <laughs> new, but it is interesting because, you know, it, it puts Social a car. Media, right? It's getting yeah, the, it puts the, a car in a compromising position. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't well, know what they've found, fun. but it's interesting. Well, what's funny, too, is like we spend in NASCAR, every single team and manufacturer takes thousands of pictures every race weekend of our cars and, and our competitors' cars. And we're constantly looking at, you know, in NASCAR, our bodies are the same. You know, we don't design, uh, we don't have near as much freedom as F1 does in terms of de- designing the, the the bodies and the aero makeup of the cars. So, um but we still are, are taking pictures of our competitors' cars and looking at the platform and, you know, the heights of the cars on the racetrack, down the straightaway, through the corners. Um, so it is funny to me to see that stuff spread because not just is it, it's not just social media that's getting all those pictures. You couldn't imagine the quality of photos that Mercedes has from their photographers of <laughs> the Red Bull F1 car and the, the yep. quality of the Mercedes underbody that Red Bull has and their photographers took of the Mercedes car. And I'm not even talking about I'm this is no joke. They I'm not talking about their social media people captured these photos. No, their engineering team has photographers that capture these mm-hmm. photos that are that are yep. taking photos of these cars for engineering. They're not getting used for social media. Um, that's a whole different department. These race teams have <laughs> have engineering whole different budget item. <laughs> yeah, whole different budget item to have a photographer on the engineering staff, not on the social media staff. So, whatever you saw on social media that you thought that that all the social media engineers uh, were looking at and dissecting these these photos, you can only imagine how much better it is the actual the the ones that the teams actually have. Uh, which kind of leads me to my other point that I wanted to talk about, which was I'm starting to see people reporting about you know upgrades and and what what drivers recently experienced in the sim and i feel like that is such a fool's errand to get sucked into those conversations because i can't tell you how often and how many times we go to the sim and get speed you know and find tenths mm-hmm. and find time and you go to the track thinking that you're going to be better and you still run in the same spot that you ran last week. Why is that? <laughs> is uh, it because everybody else I, is getting better, or is it, does the sim not yes. work? Like, what's the deal? I think sim is entirely dependent on your correlation, right, and how you are able to relate it to real life. And it can be as bad, it can be as big a detriment as it can be a help. I do know that you know the manufacturer sims we use are very similar, to, and the same companies that do the Formula One ones are the same ones we use. Um, mm-hmm. So they're using the same stuff, right? And it's very much on the same plat, same you know uh, platform in terms of RF Pro and the you know the physics and all the the computers that run all that stuff is very similar. So I, I think for them they do have a lot more information than we have, right? So I do think they can see and model a lot more. Uh, they do have a lot more wind tunnel data, which is what makes Sims very you know when you can get wind tunnel data, right, and aero data like they can get, they can effectively make it a far more accurate resource than I think we do, than we have uh, on the stock car side because we have to do a lot of interpretation, right, and mm-hmm. guesswork. They have a lot more data to work with in Formula 1 uh, to make those sims more realistic. So I do think they do see those things a little bit. I know what you're saying, which is like, 
Plenty of times we've been super fast to the sim. You show up to the racetrack and it's like, hey, you're exactly where you were last week. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. That didn't work at I'll all. This, one. This makes I'll tell you sense. another one that's fun. Uh, the, I'll tell you another one that's fun. And this isn't so much as the sim simulator, but um, I've been racing NASCAR for a very long time. I've done a countless number of daytona tests right like back in the day it was mm. speed speed fest or whatever we called it in january we'd go and test in daytona speed weeks um speed weeks and uh <laughs> no no they called it like speed fest because speed weeks is when oh, you're okay. down there for speed weeks but these anyways you used to go to daytona in january and you do all these single car runs you'd have your speed i've done this countless times with xfinity cars cup cars i did it with the next gen i've done it with all kinds of stuff Every single time with every single team that I've gone to Daytona and tested with, whether it was Ford, Chevy, Toyota, we've left the test and said, well, you know, we got another three or four tenths in the bank because this engine that we've got is just a test motor. And they, <laughs> and every single team that I've been with has counted that, like they counted that for themselves, but not their competitors. <laughs> So we would be like, well, you know, we were 29th uh, on single car runs at the test, but we're actually more like, you know, 17th because once we put in the race motor, that's at least worth three or four tenths. <laughs> and as a driver, no one else has bought all the these best. different teams, I want to be like, hey, you know, the, uh, the uh, other guys, they did the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what do you know? We come back in February and we qualify 29th. with our race that's how racing goes i love that um wait i do want okay do you want my big idea on simulators by the way manufacturer sims i have i have an idea because i have sensed in my year now or my half a year that i've now been a full-time driver again for the first time in a decade um Mm -hmm. where i have sensed a a Every the, the whole sport is a little bit tired of simulation right now. I sense it from mm-hmm. the drivers. I sense it from the crews. I sense it from the engineers. The amount we're relying on it, you know, when we've reduced practice to such a minuscule amount, there's no testing. We're so relying on this. And the problem with it is, we, as we said, it, it's, it's open to a ton of interpretation. It is entirely dependent on the amount of data you can gather from the real world and apply, and then also how your driver and your team are interpreting that data and using it and utilizing it and that sort of thing. And so it's just a very gray world in something that should make, it, that they try to make very static. And it also is an immense amount of time and effort is put into it from the manufacturer side, from the race team side, across all the manufacturers. And as I said, we're all basically using the same stuff. We're all using the same people to build them. We're all using the same computers and the same programs. And the only difference is that we're interpreting it one way versus the other, right? And some of the people that are mm-hmm. working on it, and they all do a great job, and I'm not, I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just saying we're all basically doing the same thing. So I sat there and I said to someone the other day, I was like, you know, it would be so much more fun if this wasn't this clandestine – clandestine? I can't speak right now. But this really secretive yeah. thing that we're not allowed to show – yeah, we're not allowed to show it. We're not allowed to just take pictures. We're not allowed to take video. Everyone's very secret about it, but everyone's doing it. And you can go into the Chevy Tech Center on a day and run into six different teams doing it. And you can go to Toyota, and it's the same thing. And you can go to Ford, and it's the same thing. And I'm at lunch the other day, and I bump into Ben Rhodes, who's doing a simulator at Ford. And it's, everyone's doing it, right? We're all doing the same thing. We're all in the same routine. We're not allowed to talk about it. 
I'm like, okay, hold on. Sports are about entertainment. They're about content. This, to me, is a massive missed opportunity in the content sphere. Now, I know iRacing, right, did those midweek or tried to have some sort of, you know, the pro invitationals become a midweek thing and that sort of thing, and it didn't really work. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't work because it's, it's you know, you're asking people to do something even more, right? But we're all doing these sims. And I'm like, how can we turn this into something quantifiable, something competitive, something that we could use as content and talk about and talk about all this time we're spending on it and to give the people within the sport just something to care about in the midst of all this simulation because I feel like I see burnout among so many of the people in the industry because it's just such a monotonous form of simulation. We're not racing each other. We're literally driving a single car around a track that doesn't change and goes the same lap to lap to lap and we're tweaking tires and that sort of thing. So my big idea. Uh, you can't have a race because you could tweak a tire in a simulation 1% and go 1% faster. You can add grip. You can move what grip to each tire has, and it's entirely you know, configurable. But the thing we're all doing that's really interesting in sims is we're trying to guess how fast the cars will be on any given weekend in qualifying, in the race, and then match our setups and that sort of thing to those conditions that you're going to experience that specific weekend. That's some of the time and what tire you get from Goodyear and sort of how it all interacts, right? So I was like, mm-hmm. what if the competition was this? What if each week teams and manufacturers were given, you know, by Wednesday at 5 p.m., you need to give what you believe will be the qualifying time, pole, 5th place, 10th, 20th, and 31st. You got to give the fastest race lap. You got to give the average race lap time. And you got to go have a driver drive it on video and everything, right? And the closest team each week wins something. Their closest manufacturer and team wins something each week. Am I the stupidest person alive? What's the, what's the prize? I don't know. I don't know what the prize would be. But we got to <laughs> do something. Make it a hundred grand prize each week. I don't know. Across the whole sport for everyone. <laughs> My point being... You know, give it to the, you know, let the engineers have a piece. The driver gets a piece. Like, and so they're all picking on each weekend who's going to be closest and give us something to care about. Give us some content to talk about this because it is, <laughs> it is like, monotonous. I am bored in the sim. Please. <laughs> it is monotonous and no one's having fun. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. We're, we're, we're doing the coolest thing ever. We get, to get, we get paid, all of us, to try and go faster in circles than a bunch of other people going in circles. So, like, somewhere in there, there's fun. But we're just we're we're hell bent on not making it fun, which I find frustrating. Well, I would I this this goes into a a major philosophy that I have when it comes to motorsports and the costs of motorsports and the way I look at those costs and whether they're worthy costs or not is you you have to be able to look at whatever it is you're spending money on in our sport. And, and in a perfect world, and it's hard to be perfect, but in a perfect world, you should look at those things and say, how is this actually returning value to the person to the person or the entity that's paying for it, right? And in motorsports, mm-hmm. most of the time, that's the sponsor, right? And if your sponsor, I, you know, I always use Kleenex, for example. It's like if your sponsor is Kleenex and you need $20 million a year from Kleenex to race – and you're going to spend 10 of that 20 million on simulator testing. You have to answer the question, what is what is Kleenex really getting out of that? That money being spent in simulation, right? Yep. You could you could say they're getting 
you know, if it makes the car go faster, um, they, you could say that they're getting something out of that because if the car goes faster, it gets more TV time. That's how it returns the value to the sponsor. Um, that may not be as quality of a return on their investment if, as if, you know, um, a manufacturer like Chevy saying, hey, we will spend $10 million on simulators because we can use the simulators for our production cars, right? It's, it's developing the technology and the platform for how we, how we develop our production cars. And, and in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's the manufacturers that are paying for these simulators. It's not Kleenex necessarily, but if you're a team without a manufacturer alliance, you don't have access to those sim sims. You, you have to come up with that money somehow to be able to get time on a simulator or, or you don't get time on a simulator and you're not going to compete. So um, when it comes to the value, that's, that's my way of like give, have offering this different perspective on what you said of like, we have to be getting something out of this. Yep. Um, yep. And, and that's my argument for, you know, for standardizing parts and pieces in a lot of ways. It's like, hey, if we're not, you know, we're designing these cool space age parts and pieces. I mean, back in with the Gen 6 car, we had billet spindles that were, you know, had 24 hours worth of CNC time started in a, you know, single block and of material. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, you're asking a sponsor to spend the $20,000 that it costs to manufacture one of those things. And we don't even advertise them. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I know it's well said and you're right. It's all about the value and who's getting it. And to me, it's just crazy that, you know, we get rid of testing, which maybe was a race car on the track that you could turn into content. We don't put race cars on the track anymore. We do it all behind closed doors and dark rooms. Yeah. Let's bring some light to that. Let's put some video out there. Let's put some competition and discussion points around it because at the end of the day, sports is content. And you're right. If you're, if you're spending your money to go faster, fine. But we, we could also have be using that same it. time. We should have access. Yeah. Uh, real yep. quick. I just want to move, I want to go through some quick other stuff. I saw the this great comparison photo between the F1 cars and the Formula E cars at Monaco in the Casino Hairpin and the F1 cars look like each one is worth about two Formula E cars. And remember Formula E had all those like 116 <laughs> overtakes in their race, which was awesome. Formula 1 had about negative uh, 7. So, not great. Lewis Hamilton uh his plant-based burger um quick serve restaurant concept called Neat Burger uh, raised $18 million in a Series B round as it uh, continues to expand. So good for Lewis in spreading his vegan... Uh, so who burger, wins in terms of influence in, in uh, promoting a fast food restaurant? Uh, Mr. Beast or Lewis Hamilton? <sighs> Lewis probably is putting way less effort personally behind it, so I'm going to say Mr. <laughs> Beast, of course. But I bet Lewis, if Lewis is doing it, it's going to be successful. So I wouldn't count him out. You know what we haven't talked about? Uh, the Indy 500 happened this past weekend, and Joseph Newgarden dra- uh, drank whole milk as he won the race in a Which last is lap. Absolutely, pass. the only milk you should drink if you win the Indy 500. Yeah. If you're a American um, and a race car driver, you'll drink whole milk, and you'll like it, and you'll have no choice. <laughs> you, you, you'll enjoy it. All right. Um, I thought a lot. Obviously, that race was awesome. We discussed how it's an amazing race. It makes you emotional. Once again, the NBC broadcast, not just saying this because I work for them, but Lee Diffie, Townsend Bell, James Hinchcliffe did an incredible job. I just thought it was an awesome broadcast. Uh, A tremendous race. And came down to those last... uh, Well, before we get there, 
one thing that happened obviously was there was a big wreck uh, with Kyle Kirkwood and Felix Rosenquist where his Kirkwood's uh, rear tire went and narrowly missed the grandstands, hit a white Chevy Cruze um, in the parking lot, thankfully. No one was injured. Uh, but the <laughs> the owner of the car, uh, I will, will, will believe, will have a new Chevy and a lifetime access pass to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway <laughs> anytime they want. Um, but this did start to, you know, start a, a setup of red flags through this race that came down to a late red flag that then the race went green or, or basically they went back to yellow and immediately went green on that same lap, which I thought was one of the more interesting things I've ever seen. Personally, I know there's a question out there for people, which is should green white checkers basically be a thing? Should ending a race under green at all costs be the, the way that race control, you know, decides what to do with races. Personally, I say yes. And my reasoning being, I know it's not um, normal for the Indy 500 to have done what they did, which is have multiple red flags, including going green off, you know, not, not even one whole pace lap uh, to end the race in a one lap shootout. But that one lap shootout, gave every one of those 330,000 people and all the hundreds of thousands of millions on TikTok and Instagram that moment to, mem- to, rem- to remember, to remind them why they came there, that, that amazing finish, culmination, climax of the whole event is that finish of the Indy 500. If you have a chance to make it be under green. Now, I'm not saying going to green-white checkers in the Indy 500 because I think the Indy 500 should be 500 miles. We don't want to be talking about the Indy 501. That's a NASCAR thing. It needs to stay true to itself. But if you have that ability by throwing red flags like they did, then by all means, do it. Go after it. Make it a green flag finish, and that's what they did, and you got an, an amazing finish. Um, it, I saw there was you know, tons of highlights on TikTok and Instagram comparing the finish of it to the Daytona 500. And that wouldn't have been the case if you don't end that race under green or at least attempt to end it under green. Now, if there's a wreck on that final lap, so be it. That's the way it goes. They're not all going to be, you know, incredible side-by-side finishes. But I felt like in this event, IndyCar, I applaud you in the Indy 500 group for finding a way to end this race under green. And I know it was unconventional, but I agree with it wholeheartedly. What was more unconventional for you? The going to green right out of pit road or seeing a green checkered? (laughs) A green white Um, checkered. The Not green, a white green checker. white checkers, but a green white and then a checker. A one lap. For me, what, what what is for, more conventional to you? Unconventional to you? I think both, and I'll say why. First and foremost, going green off of pit road to me was one of the more um, that was ballsy. Bra- yeah, ballsy, brazen things I've seen a race control group do in a long time in a race like eighty five hundred. By the way, I think it was awesome. I think uh, I, I applaud that. I applaud that move. I think that move took more c- courage on race control than doing a green checkered finish. But by the way, I, I don't want to pat him on the back too much because we in the professional racing world have this, you know, we think that we all, we need all these pace laps and 
I mean, shoot NASCAR, God bless them for their procedures, but it's just like you can't come off pit road without opening pit road once, and then you got to open it again for the lap cars, and then there's got to be one more pace lap, and then there's a lap where we line up and choose. Like, every caution has to have, like, all these... Well, you go to the Benton County Speedway down the road here from where I'm at in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. They send you onto the racetrack off turn two, and you're coming back to green for your heat race. Like, <laughs> we ain't got time. Race that started at 6 o'clock. We're going to get everybody home by 9. Like, we're get, we yep. got to get through six classes tonight, two sets of heat races, B features, and an A. And it's they race on Sunday night. We don't have time to be here till midnight. We don't have time for a bunch of pace laps. So the Indy 500, that track's two and a half miles long. <laughs> I, I think I think they absolutely should send them out and put them, send them to green if they have to. Now, when you need a pace lap, you need a pace lap. I get it. Let's warm our tires up, you know. But, but hey, it's the end of the Indy 500. We only got one more of these laps. It's a 500-mile race. It's not 501. It's not the Indy 5, 502.5. So I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Let's let's send let's send them out, send them right to green, and bring them back to checkered. Now, so I I'll dial that back a little bit to to what you said, and I'm going to agree with what you said 100. percent So, sorry if you guys were looking for some heated debate. They wanted an argument, but, Landon. They wanted yeah, a debate. I don't, know if you wanted, I don't know if you wanted an argument. I don't I don't know if I have an argument for you because, um. I love NASCAR overtime. I love, you know, the 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 time and the thought that NASCAR has put into trying to get our races to finish um this this or their races. And and you know, NASCAR does a good job of getting seeing green green flag finishes. Um I'm totally okay with the Indy 500 being the Indy 500. I don't think the Indy 500 needs NASCAR overtime. Um, I think the Indy 500, uh, the IndyCar race control did a phenomenal job doing everything they can. I think they did all of the right things, doing everything they can to see a green flag finish, because I do think that race fans deserve to see a green flag finish. They deserve to see every effort of a green flag finish. And if you, to me, if you're someone that's arguing against what they did on Sunday, and saying, no, they shouldn't be red flagging and then green flag and then red flag. And well, it's just like, well, at what point in the race is it appropriate to start thinking about when the race is going to finish? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it 10 to go? Is it 15 to go? Because every caution lap counts, even back then. Right? So at what yep. point do you hurry the race along and say, oh, no, we've got to cut caution laps so that we can make sure we get to the end of this thing? So I, I think they did the right thing. I think if you get a chance to red flag it, you know, you're within three or four laps to go in the race, and it's like, hey, let's red flag this, knowing that we're going to clean the track and we're going to we're going to finish this with two laps to go. I think you should. The flip side I, I to think, it, I think they did the right thing. Yeah, and the flip side to it, just think about this. You know, there was a lot of I can't remember the race earlier this year. Maybe it was Daytona 500 that we were talking about this, where you know it went into multiple overtimes, and fans were annoyed that it went into multiple overtimes, right? And then still under under caution, and. I was like, well, at some point, the race has to end. <laughs> like, like yeah. it can't just go on indefinitely. We'll never get out of here. So I think for NASCAR, I agree with what they have in the green-white checker procedure they have. because, And I think it's, they finally found the overtime procedure that works for them that is correct. And it's the one we have right now. And for NASCAR's type of racing and the product they put out there, it's right. As you put it, 
for the Indy 500, it's got to stay 500 miles. And if they're given this opportunity to do what they did, they should. The and by the way, it, it it's not you can't not count yellow laps. It's not it's no. still extra laps, right? Because because team you know because people might say, well, it's inside inside of ten laps to go. Um, let's just stop counting caution laps, and that way it's still the Indy 500. We end on lap 200. Well, it's not lap 200. It's lap 204, lap 205, because that's those yep. are laps on the engine, laps on fuel. You know, teams that were cutting it close on fuel mileage could run out of gas if it goes beyond those 200 laps. So just because you're not counting those laps doesn't mean those laps didn't happen. And yep. so, you know, I, at that point, it's like, why not? Then what's the problem with red flagging? If you're just going to count laps and not count them, why can't we just red flag it so we can still call it a 500-mile race? I agree wholeheartedly. If you don't count caution I laps, I, you're adding – it's not the Indy 500. It's the Indy 5 plus, 500 plus. Right. So, no. No, right. thank you. Not happening. Five, it's the Indy One, 500 plus the caution laps we didn't count. Because let me tell you, <laughs> the, the, and the race engineers still count those laps because they care oh, yeah. about those. The, the race engineers count, count the parade laps. Right, because those laps count—that's fuel that they're burning. Right, so um, I I feel like I'm I'm curious, you know, if there's any IndyCar purists that do listen to the show. I do feel like the IndyCar purists, while they might be appreciate that us NASCAR hillbillies are not (laughs) vouching for green white checkers, I still think an IndyCar purist is going to ask for no red flags. Yep. Yep. I think the purest of IndyCar purists didn't like the red flags that they saw on Sunday. And I'm sure Marcus Erickson was a major purist. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he, had, he was a sitting duck. He was a sitting duck because of one style of racing they have uh, before we move on for the Indy 500, and that is snaking down the front stretch where they you know, try to avoid the draft and that sort of thing. I saw a bunch of people on social media have a problem with this, um, I, which I don't understand because that's just essentially very fast cars trying to avoid a draft. We see it all over the place. If it's moving down a different place on the straightaway at a road course in Formula 1 or it's you know snaking down the front stretch of an Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you're trying to break the draft. I will, you know, for those that have a problem with it, if you like the passing you saw in the Indy 500 and especially the slingshot passes – then that sort of snaking will be a part of the show because the draft being created and the hole in the air being created is large enough to create those passes. I have watched plenty of Indy 500s that did not have the snaking to the level that they have now, as they call it, or dragoning or whatever, uh, that wasn't there because it was actually just not a very close race and there was no draft effect and so no one could pass each other. And you didn't have that sort of movement, so I, I don't understand the under the thought process of is if it's excessive or that sort of thing. Because to me, it's just a product of creating a very entertaining package that allows the cars to slingshot by each other. I think it's, um, I don't know. I mean, we're, as we're we're everybody wants to. It's so easy to complain or always pick something apart, and. You know, it would be just about the time that we have three or four Indy 500s in a row that just seem like they're not compelling and there isn't a lot of passing for the lead that we say, oh, we need a better draft package or something. But I will say on on one hand, it's very exciting to watch. And then on the other hand, it's like 
predictable and discouraging to know that like the leader can't get away, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and in a weird way, you know, as much as I was excited for Ericsson and, you know, my pre-race pick of a Ganassi car winning the Indy 500, um, I kind of knew going green to checkered, like he had no shot. Like he was a sitting duck. You know, the leader is a sitting is, is, is seems to be a sitting duck at Indy right now. So, um, the snaking itself, uh, that's just, you can't have one without the other, right? You can't have, um, nope. cars that slingshot and, you know, big hole in the air without having, you know, to, to try to break that. I think that the thing that was more dramatic is the, uh, going below the line, like almost aiming the cars at pit wall and then coming back up at the last second. That, that seemed pretty dangerous. And, um, you could say you don't have, you can't go below that white line, which might be, yeah. you know, the pit lane entry line, which probably would be smart safety wise. But I, 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 and then on the back stretch, you have a natural line, which is the grass. Although if you're Tony Kanaan, it's not a line because you just go below it <laughs> into the grass at <laughs> 230 miles an hour, which is wild. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, Won $3.666 million. I said that right, 666, uh, for winning the Indianapolis 500, a $17 million purse overall. So our buddy Connor Daly in eighth did probably pretty well as well. Um, the Coke 600 this past weekend for Cup was a $9.4 million purse, which includes charter payouts, three year history, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a bit convoluted, but roughly comes to a $9.4 million payout or purse the xfinity series was 1.3 million the truck 767,000 and monte carlo was 1.8 trillion uh is what i what all the f1 fans tell me so (laughs) 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 because they have more money than anyone no i'm kidding i have no idea um but yeah that's some of the payouts which we like to jump into sometimes and uh actually ben rhodes got an extra 50k bonus by winning the truck race this past weekend so that was interesting. Another little bit of facts from this past weekend. Uh, Justin Haley set the most miles driven one day in the NASCAR national races at 898.5 miles, which I thought was interesting uh, as he competed in the Xfinity race and the uh, cup race. So pretty, pretty monumental day for him in that sense. Uh, that's a, long that's a lot of miles. That's a long day. That's a, long day. That's, that's a serious – on the whoop, you would – you would be burning some serious calories. Um, you know, I think <laughs> I had a 5,000 calorie day. So how much, um, how much of that 3.66 million do you think Joseph took home? I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, so you and I have had this discussion before. I feel like commonplace is somewhere between 40 and 50%. I don't know IndyCar contracts as well, but I assume a lot is built around the Indy 500 in many of them. Um, I do sort of know what most IndyCar drivers at Penske, uh, make, and it's pretty similar amongst all of them. Um, I don't know, 40, 50%, you think? You think he got there? Million and a half, at least? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big day. Million and a half bucks. It's a really nice day, you know? You're going to make a pass in the last lap for a million and a half bucks. It's pretty nice. (laughs) I think, uh, I think second place... Yeah, immortality. I think second place is over a million bucks or just at it, too. So with a $17 million purse. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one to win. It's a great race. Love that. It does cost a lot. Just so you know, they run that race and do it appropriately. I believe 
the estimation is somewhere around 1.8 million for the the month of May to basically do that all correctly. Wow, two million bucks. Yeah, so it's a big part of their budget too. Uh, Penske also won the Cup race, the Coca Cola 600, also known as the World 600. Um, Ryan Blaney finally breaks his uh, winless streak I've noticed, at 59 races. Dale Jr. will not call it anything other than the World 600. Is that where I got that from? Is that why I said that? Yeah, he doesn't call it the Coke 600. That's why I said it. I was like, why would I even think to say that right there? I was like saying the Coca Cola 600, and I was like, why did I say it's also the World 600? Why do I? Even, why does anyone care? What am I, what am I trying to do there? <laughs> I must have been inceptioned by Dale Jr. I don't. I don't know. Maybe when you're Dale Jr., you can not say things like Coca Cola unless they pay you to. <laughs> I'm calling it the Spite Core 600 now. How about that? <laughs> That's the new name. <laughs> I'm keeping it there. Oh, just some more news around the world. Um, <laughs> I, I, you've got me with that one. <laughs> iRacing announced that they and the FIA are teaming up to create a Formula 4 series in iRacing, which is pretty cool because you and I are big fans of sort of connecting those the iRacing world to the real world. And so it sounds like the FAA may be looking at sort of using them as a, another part of the ladder system into their really well-designed ladder system that goes all the way through to F2 and then eventually Formula 1. So I think that's pretty good, pretty cool. See where that goes for them. Um, that was, now, that would be like, for, for NASCAR fans, that would be like... Xfinity getting its own license? No, lower than that. No, F4. That would be like F2. So F4 would be like ARCA having a... ARCA truck? Yeah. ARCA. No, not truck. Truck would be Formula 3. So, (laughs) you know what's funny? Before we go, I want to... We're going to dive more into the NASCAR stuff and some of the bigger topics. But... um, I was having this discussion with another truck series driver who actually races full-time in the truck series. He's won a championship. Um, and if you listened to earlier in this podcast, you may know who I'm talking about. But I said, you know what's funny about NASCAR is we're the only form of racing, poss- basically in the world, that the latter series, Xfinity and trucks, still have professional drivers making a living. When you look at what they're doing in the Formula 1 ladder system, because you and I had the joke the other day where I was telling you how one of my dreams, it was one day that when I was done racing, was to go do the European ladder system because that's what mm-hmm. I wanted to do as a kid, to go to Formula 1. Not actually get to Formula 1, but like just straight up pay and go do the F3, Euro, the F3 or like the Formula Ford Festival in, in Brands Hatch, go do F3, go do Macau, go do F2, <laughs> just work my way up the ladder system myself for fun because um, I never got to go run it. And now I think they're going to turn it so much into like a such a ladder system design similar to other sports that you won't, you know, they'll have age limits, I think, if they don't have already, where, you know, once you're really? over 25, you can't do F3 and that sort of thing. Yeah. And they have experience limits. I know a couple, many years ago, Nelson Piquet Jr. tried to run, I think, a special F3 race, and he wasn't allowed because he had too much experience. So they're already wow. gatekeeping it from allowing me to, to live my dream. So, boo. I, I mean, I've thought that there should be experience barriers to get to the next level in NASCAR. 
And I think I that they should, that. I, I have I've had this bold idea that they should be tied to performance, even though we have you know it's it's it can p- potentially be an interesting conversation where it's like well equipment and this and that. Um, I feel like you shouldn't be allowed to move up to the next level in NASCAR until you get some specified accomplishment, right? Number of starts, number of top tens, um, things like that. Races without wrecking, um, things like that. Because I think, yep. I, I think it would it would also be a uh, potentially a performance incentive for race teams to provide a more quality product too. You know, if a driver and needs I think top ten finishes to get up to the next level, they're not going to go, you know, sign a long term deal with a team or bring sponsorship to a team that's not capable of top tens. Yep, that's interesting, and I think similar to Formula One, the Cup Series should have a license system, like a super license system. Um, I, I really the think... template, the proof is already there. I mean, the the, yeah. the template is already there with iRacing yep. and the i rating system and the safety rating system. I think NASCAR, you know, from the ground up, starting in, you know, NASCAR home tracks, could find a way to develop, you know, its own algorithm for performance and, you know, rating drivers through the system so that they make sure that they have the highest quality drivers competing in their series. To me, it, it it is completely absurd to think that the drivers in the top level of motorsport aren't the most capable drivers that should be in that level, right? Mm-hmm. And when so, the funding is there, it's frustrating that that's the case. Yep, it's not the case. And so yeah. I feel like you know the sanctioning body could should should definitely put some some guardrails around. To protect their their own sport, I'm not I'm not even asking them to do this for the drivers. I think it's I think they should do it for their own sport to protect guardrails around their own sport to make sure that hey, if you want to compete in the Cup Series or if you want to compete in the Xfinity Series or in the Truck Series, you have had to accomp- make meet these certain accomplishments at the lower series to get to make your way up. And it gives the lower series more value as well. It, it, yep. it just overall I think helps. And you know, it'd be interesting is if there was someone involved at the NASCAR uh, lower series and regional series that listen to this podcast and would hear these sorts of suggestions. That'd be interesting. wonder if they'd use them. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure maybe. they could reach out to us and we could have a discussion. <laughs> Last thing, on, uh, speaking of eNASCAR, by the way, just got to give a shout out to our very own Colin Keister in the eRacer car, uh, Wendy's car. Finished P2, by the way. Or ran P2. Sorry, ran P2. Finished seventh. Ran P2. Finished seventh. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, our producer, totally messed me up on that and wrote P2. And I totally, I felt, I will admit I fell asleep last night. I was on four hours sleep. So I didn't get to see the finish. But I did check. I knew and then he wrote, drivers P, were, he wrote P2. Were he wrote P2. And Charlotte. I was like, I was like, wait, he finished P2? Am I misremembering? I guess I was really tired when I woke up this morning. So I was like, all right. Uh, we, no, he did. We tried we to make it down. easy. We tried to make it easy on you this year by hiring two drivers with the same name so we could at least have some <laughs> consistency there. But you would always, you will never go wrong calling our driver Colin. It's just how you spell it, whether you use a C or a K. <laughs> oh, man. Two drivers who do not have the same name. Uh, that would be Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin. 
had a bit of an altercation this weekend, mm. my man. This is what everyone's been waiting for us to discuss. So we've seen this with the next-gen car before. The two cars run side-by-side side very easily. The bottom car sort of walks itself up the track, ends up dooring the outside car, which or arrow shoves them into the outside wall. The outside car is upset with this scenario, of course, and being mm-hmm. abused and maybe feeling like they got used up on the exit of the racetrack. Chase Elliott retaliates against Denny Hamlin by visibly turning what I thought was visible, turning left um, and right-rearing Denny Hamlin straight into the wall, hard hit in the Coca-Cola 600, as Dale Jr. would call the World 600, and then gets on camera and says, you know, you just can't drive these things once you've hit the wall. Well, it seems like NASCAR agreed with many people out there who felt like it was intentional. He is now suspended for one week. Denny Hamlin called for this in his interview by saying he basically threw a tantrum, and then Denny did his podcast, which I haven't listened to, but I'm assuming was a hour-long rant about how Denny Chase Elliott should be suspended. Let's and be, hey, he got his let's wish. Let's be real for a second. Yeah, they both threw tantrums <laughs> because Chase threw a tantrum when he got hit and and cranked it back into Denny and hooked him, and then Denny proceeded to throw a four-day-long tantrum until he got what he wanted. <laughs> We're only at day three. I don't. So I'm, I can't say, I'm not. Blame, I don't blame him. I'm just. I just. Oh, I don't blame him. I'd be pissed too. Like, who's really throwing the tantrum here? Yeah, I would have been livid. I mean, you get right reared. Oh, at he Charlotte with the way that well, the way that wall is and everything, and just put aside where it's just the speed, everything, and he hit yeah. a ton. Like, uh, yeah. that was a. By the way, I, by the way, I'm on, I'm on team Denny on this whole thing. I, you know, oh he yeah, got hooked and it was wrong. I mean, it was, it was obvious. Um, so two. No, two sorry, points. dude. I'm I, Team Chase Elliott, actually. Oh, you are. Yeah, because you, the there was another podcast buddy, host buddy, that they're was not Team Chase in the nine. Well, th- yeah, he was Team Chase Elliott, and then he got in the nine. So I'm just seeing if that works he for was, me here. He was the only one that was Team Chase Elliott. So they were like, "Uh, this him, put him <laughs> in it." He's the only guy that supported us in the last two days. <laughs> Love so you, Corey. I, I want to talk about. I want to. I want to um, make two notes here. So first off, what? What? Ha- I want to dive into a little bit of what Denny did to Chase, because and how it's different than in a Cup car than it is in the Xfinity car, and then also you know even the old Cup car. So what's happening here is if if you go back and watch the replay. You see Denny advancing on Chase from the inside. When he gets his right rear tire close or equal to Chase's left front tire, so Denny's got this kind of position advantage, you see these guys time and time again, especially at intermediate tracks, they just start using up the guy on the outside, right, and running him up the track, essentially. And in an Xfinity car or in the old cup cars, the guy on the outside in those scenarios yes, you are losing an angle advantage to that inside car, but what you do have still in that situation is you have the ability to suck air off of the inside car. So the inside car to make that move with the Xfinity car or the old Cup car is is still a big risk, 
right? To dive underneath someone like that, you're going to get really loose. Even if you do kind of clear him and you try to run him up the track, he can still kind of come back around you. And if they get equal to you, they're, they're going to suck the air off you. And the guy on the inside is in trouble now. But in this new cup car, in this next gen car, the driver on the inside, I'm using my hands to talk because that's how drivers have to talk about race cars. You have to use your hands. I'm sorry. If you watch this on YouTube, you'd see it. Yeah. This is the guy on the outside. This is the driver on the inside. (laughs) Drivers talk with their hands. So the car on the inside, Denny, when he gets his right rear to the left front of Chase, his car is dumping a ton of air on Chase's car or disrupting the air. It kills the aero balance. So Denny has not just a positional advantage on Chase, but he also has an aero advantage because Denny's air on his car is still pretty clean. For whatever reason, it's killing the aero balance on Chase's car, and it's making Chase super tight. So that guy on the inside can be super aggressive in terms of just using up the nine. And when he has that much positional advantage on Chase, he can just take up the space and say, hey, it's your job not to hit the wall, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, we've seen it time and again. The guy on the outside hits the wall because they don't want to lift or they're, you know, or they even, the cars just get so sucked out of the racetrack that, that they, you know, they kind of lose control over, over them. So I, I wanted to kind of go over that move. It's, it's an aggressive move. And people can say that Denny walled Chase. But I'll be honest with you, that move is part and parcel to the, to the next gen car right now. Like if you are the inside car at an intermediate track and you have your right rear that far up on the guy on your outside, you have all the leverage and he should yep. lift. Like it's just, that's just it now. So for, for people to say he got walled, it's like, I, I think you're going to find over time here with this next gen cars, unless that arrow, you know, that dynamic changes, um, you're going to find the guy on the outside. He needs to lift. And if he gets walled, it's his own fault. And so, you know, if I'm, you know, looking at that replay again, it's just like, I don't know. Denny made an aggressive move. He ran Chase up the racetrack, but he was doing things that were all within his leverage, in my opinion. And so for Chase to just stay out there, you know, he probably should have lifted earlier or, or I don't know. You take that chance. I mean, it's late in the race. They're, they're going for it. Um, but that that was my that's my analysis on just the Denny part of it. We've seen it from Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace last year. We saw it with uh Ross Chastain and Noah Gregson at Kansas. Um we saw it with these two. We saw it with uh, a couple others that have gotten the fence the way you're describing. Think mm-hmm. I believe what you said is basically the the nature of how we understand cars running side by side is changing and it has changed it's because it's totally the, different the, in the, that car because this car is so different. And it's the same yep. thing that allows these cars, as we've talked about, run side by side for multiple laps because of the way the arrow works, as opposed to the other cars that you see in Xfinity or trucks, the car and the inside the old car. is not at a disadvantage. Like, like it is with the Xfinity car or like the old cup car. Yep. And it is this new car has changed the dynamic of how we race each other with the air at these fast high speed racetracks. And so, you know, we're still learning and these drivers are still discovering those limits and they're still finding where the true leverage points are. Um, I mean, we've seen it over and over again, and for whatever reason, this particular move of getting your right rear thrown at you, 
by the car on the inside, not only is a new move, right, and it's a new leverage point that didn't really exist in the same manner with the other car, um, it also really does seem to piss off the guy that gets walled. <laughs> yep. Well, and I can totally <laughs> empathize with them because I'd be pissed too. You know what? Yeah. Put aside the dynamic changes. It's like, damn it, I was there. But it's different now. And, that, you know, this will be interesting to see how the sport continually adjusts to it. And as drivers take note of that happening time and time again, you're going to go, okay, you know what? I see now. Yeah. Being on the outside there is a does threat. does not mean the same thing that it used to mean. Just because exactly. you're at his door on doesn't the mean outside anything. doesn't mean you're there because if you're at his door, he can, he's, he's literally just sucked half the downforce off your car and has a positional advantage over you. You got to lift, buddy. You gotta you're lift. going to the fence. You got to lift, bro. Got to lift, man. One guy who's experienced it for the first time uh, is Carson Hosevar, who's getting a chance in the seven car because, as we mentioned, Corley Joy going into the nine to replace the uh, suspended Chase Elliott. What do you think? The, what, do we, what do we set the line on for uh, Corey? And I should mention, obviously, the Xfinity Series, we are up in Portland. So maybe some of the drivers you would have thought drive, would drive that 9 or drive the 7 uh, are in Portland and unable to do Gateway, where the Cup Series is. So Truck Series driver Carson Hosovar gets that chance, which he's done a good job in his uh, couple of Xfinity starts. But yeah, what do we, what do we set the line on Corey? And, and how does Corey approach this weekend because I we both know him really well I think you know he knows the gravity of this but at the mm-hmm. same time you don't want to put too much on this because he's doing an incredible job I believe he's 20th in points right now for Spire I and mean, we're halfway through the season the regular season um I think he's gonna do pretty good I don't think I want to underestimate well thanks him. for that thanks for that shocking Proclamation. No, I think he's going to do really good. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> underestimate him. Because don't don't step on a lib. Cor- Corey, yeah, I don't really have anything super comfort- controversial, but it is, I, I do think it's a little ana- analytical. So if you guys enjoy my when I when I get analytical about things, um, here's why I think he's going to do well. I think Corey has this mental capacity to dig deep when he really wants to, um, and I think we've seen it from him in the past, particularly at Atlanta last year, essentially called a shot, right? Said, I'm yep. going to win this race and then went there and like, not just didn't just get there at the end. He just, he just was there all day, ran the top five all day. He, he willed it into existence. Um, and I think he's done that a couple times this year. I think he's, he's extremely capable, especially when his mind is there. So, I mean, I would talk to him this week. I don't know where his mind is at. I, I would hope it's, you know, I hope he's in a, all out effort. I hope he doesn't approach it like, uh, you know, like he wants it to come to him. Uh, yep. cause I don't think you can allow, I don't think you can let it come to you. I think you have to attack even though you're even, even though you're driving the nine car for Hendrick motorsports, I think you gotta give it all you got. Now I will say, I don't know how he ran at gateway last year. I don't know if it was that good. So there's a question there of if gateway is a good track for him. The other question too is, you know, how's the nine car going to be? But yep, that's my with Josh Berry at the short tracks. I think it was pretty good, right? Yep, ran pretty well at Richmond. Um, so it, I, I, it entirely I'm depends. I think he'll run top ten. Yeah, and I think it will be interesting for him to experience that team, right? Um, and sort of what they 
what those cars are like, considering how good he's doing in his Spire Motorsports number seven this year. Personally, I absolutely think he'll do great. I I think the you know to me once again I'm not going to put so much stock in the result as much as the performance. You know, does he go out there and match the Hendrick Motorsports teammates in qualifying and match their pace through the race? And so you know, if they get spun out or pit crew messes up forever and he doesn't get a great finish, so be it. But to me, the performance is what's going to matter, not the the end result on a one off like this. Uh, the position he is, I did think the line for him uh, is somewhere in the top ten in terms of if you were doing over under. I'm going to say seven point five over under. What are you taking? Ooh, man! Because that's a great day. You suckered me in, didn't you? Yeah, I did. You suckered <laughs> me in because I gave it. I I just said how good he's going to do. I said he's going to be top ten. So you put him at seven point five. I was thinking nine point five, <laughs> and I take yeah, the that's under easy. But seven point five. I don't. You're going to make me. You're gonna. You're making me take the over on a guy that I want to take the under on. <laughs> All right. Well, to be contrarian, I'll take the under. I'll take the under. So he's gonna get in the top seven. He'll get a top five. It'll be a ceremonious moment for him and for young drivers throughout the country who want to go. Yeah, or go win it, or grind. You know, who just want to be a grinder and get to a position like this. It's really impressive. Carson Hosevar got nothing to lose, bud. Go have fun. Enjoy it. Not many don't expectations there. Yeah, don't back it in, um, and you should be just fine. With that, we've basically covered everything. The only thing left is I'm headed to Portland. You got to run there. I haven't been there since 2006 where I raced against Alexander Rossi in Formula Renault was the last time I went to Portland International Raceway. So I don't think it's changed. I, it hasn't, and I, I was trying to remember. I believe he and I, neither of us won that weekend. Or maybe he won the second race. We used to do two races a weekend at that time. But I beat him in the first race, finished second. And I think I finished second in the second race, and he won. So he did one-up me, I think, at Portland. It won't rain this well, time. What do I need to know? I don't know if I can help you because it wasn't even ever dry last <laughs> year at that track at all. So if it rains, call me, um, and I can Deal. talk to you about it in the rain. But uh, otherwise, I don't know if I can help you because there was, there was nothing dry. I will say the food in Portland is delicious. All right. Looking forward to that. So that's great. I've done a ton of sim. I'm quite excited. Road course racing. Uh, obviously, some of my favorite stuff is stock cars on road courses. So I can't wait because I get to go to, do two of them. We're doing Portland. Uh, and then we go to Sonoma, and I think obviously both are huge opportunities for my race team and to turn around sort of the month of May, man. I love it. It's one of my favorite months of the year, but it was brutal to me uh, in the old driving sphere. I don't think I had a single good moment this entire month, um, so I'm really looking forward to racing in June going forward. And any other fresh time, start. it's not – Yeah, fresh start. I've never really thought about the world and the racing that way, but I think I have to um, because it's been brutal. So, um, with that, I just want to give a shout out to our producer, Josh Mendoza, who's done a great job so far, uh, this time and for making time with us today on this different timing for us recording this podcast on Wednesday. So thank you, Josh. And if you don't have anything else, that's the money lap. Let's do it. Good luck, buddy. Thank you, bud. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday 
and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.